It's about time, Gene. No, um, the very first verse that we're going to look at today talks about 30 minutes of silence. I really was hoping you'd go for that so that I could do something different. Because um, I'm always trying to edit out so that I can keep mine from being three hours long. Um, 30 minutes in heaven. Do they measure time in heaven? Apparently. But there, it, eternity, right? Future eternity. So apparently there's no limit to time, but there's still a way to measure it. Perspective, right, is, is basically time. You know, we, we, we enjoy, Gene, we really do enjoy your, your science class. Uh, the, the science guy has no, nothing on you. Because what you, he does is he actually gives us a history lesson while he's giving us a science lesson, right? Because the context is history. And history is what? It's time. It's looking back at time and things that have happened. And we use that to contextualize. He gave us dates when he gave us information. Time, okay? When we talk about the things in Revelation, we're looking at future history. Now, we don't think of it as history because we say future is not history. That's the future. But it's going to happen. It's just not happened yet. It's going to happen in time, and God, of course, is always on time. So I don't know what kind of watch he wears, but my guess is he probably doesn't need one. So, so we're going to be in chapter 8. We're going to do chapter 8 today, and it's going to be a continuation of what we've been doing for the last several weeks, many weeks, and that is working through the book of Revelation a chapter at a time or even a few verses at a time. And the idea is that you would not just get a message for today, but the idea is that you would begin to understand and feel this letter that's 22 chapters long and get a sense of the historical context, the, the symbolism that's a part of that and, and uh, the, the logic behind it, and, the, and you begin to see the patterns that are there and the symbols and the analogies and the, and the imagery that is all there to help communicate to you not just truth, but confidence in that truth, Okay? One of the reasons the church hasn't been the church that we should be, and I'm talking about the, the church in the world, is that we don't all, we're not always fully convinced of this. Or we don't treat it as authoritative in our lives. And that's one of the biggest challenges, I think, because that's a heart-level decision. That's not just a mental thing. That's, that's saying, I'm putting my full weight on, on this because I believe it to the core of who I am. When we start talking about the future, wow, you really... You're really getting there. So I think what we tend to do as a result of that is we tend to compartmentalize things. In our effort to control our world, to control our lives, whether you're OCD or not, we all try to do this. It's like if I can just control this part of my life, then, then I'll, be, I'll be more less stressed. And the problem is somebody messes with that almost always. And then we're stressed out and we're like, what am I so stressed out about? Well, we're trying to be God instead of letting him be God. So um, this story, I get to do a little history too, Gene. Um, this story is actually an adjustment to the way I understood the reason the Titanic went down. So apparently when James Cameron was directing the movie and creating the movie Titanic, he did a lot more research. And then 1985, in September 1985, I think it was, they did a dive and they went down and they were able to look at the ship on the bottom of the ocean floor for the first time. And it's just sitting there. 
And uh, they real, you know, the, the theory or the understanding or the, what people thought was the, had caused it to sink was that there was this giant gash in the side of it that opened up four of the 16 compartments. Now, this was behind the genius of the design, the unsinkable ship, was that there were 16 compartments that made up the hull. And if one was punctured, only that section, that compartment would flood. And so the ship could just keep right on going up to about four. And then they thought, eh, after four, you're probably not going to do it. But that's so unlikely. She's unsinkable. She's a great ship. And so everybody thought that, that five had been ruptured. Well, when they looked at that underwater to see, they realized that isn't what happened. They said that what happened was one compartment was, was gashed and, and ruptured. And that because all of the compartments Whatever happened affected all of the compartments, even though there was only one that was pierced. And so the idea that we can compartmentalize the damage and therefore limit it was a good idea. The problem is it didn't work. They underestimated the impact that an event happening to one compartment could affect all of them. And I thought, you know, that's what I try to do in my life. I try to control my life by compartmentalizing my life. And I'm like, I'm going to deal with, okay, I'm going to deal with this family issue, and then I'm going to put a bow on that and put that over there, and then I'm going to deal with this financial issue, and then I'm going to put a bow on it and push it over there until the next time there's a problem. And we, we try to, and then when we get to the spiritual piece, we keep doing that, okay? I think some of us will, will, will put even church in a, in a compartment, and we'll even put God in a different compartment, because we can see these people and we can't see him and so I don't know what to do with that. So we'll compartmentalize God and we'll get to the point where I'm going to deal with God when I get to church and then I'm going to be done with him until next Sunday at 10.30. And, and we don't realize, like the engineers in the Titanic, that, the, that what happens in one compartment affects all of them. Okay? And so while there are, there are advantages to compartmentalizing, okay, I, I'm a big fan, uh, right? It helps me focus because I have trouble focusing. There's, you can take it too far. And to walk through life as if I can really control my life that fully is really um, probably foolish, naive, if not dangerous. So as we walk through these, this, these verses in this chapter, Really, the big idea is this, and this is the, the title of the message is, Why We Pray. And the bottom line is, we pray because prayer changes things. It's really quite simple, okay? We pray because prayer changes things. Now, you say, well, I thought we were going through judgments of God, okay? Well, first of all, if you're going through the judgments of God, part of the point of God letting you go through those judgments is so that you will pray more, okay? Um, and remember, who's in the crosshairs? It's not the church. It's most likely the people of God are gone. Jesus has taken them home. So who's left? Those who haven't trusted Jesus yet. Okay? And why, not, why, why else would God not just go, let's judge them. Bam, done. That was easy. God is spreading it out over seven seals and seven trumpets and seven bowls, and it's like so confusing. And God, why can't you just make it simple? He's like, really? You don't want any time to think about this? Back to time see it so we we want to compartmentalize and we want to control and we you know we, we don't like to go to funerals because we don't want to think about death but if i'm going to think about death i'm going to do it at the funeral so i'm only going to do one of those a year okay maybe once a decade ah uh, whatever you know and we just want to okay so 
It's, it's, but, the, but the main point of this chapter isn't about prayer, but it is a huge picture of the power of prayer. If you've ever prayed, I don't know if you've ever done this before. It was a, have you ever prayed for justice? And I don't mean just prayed for justice. Like somebody, you have somebody in mind. And you've, and you, right? You hear it, right? Like I'm praying for a lightning bolt right now, right? Is that okay? They're called imprecatory psalms. And when you read through an imprecatory psalm, you realize David was not happy with some people that were trying to kill him, and he was praying down justice on those guys. Now, I am very, very uncomfortable praying anything close to that, but I admit I have done it. But not, in, not until I first prayed for mercy. Because God knows if they're his or not. Whether they are yet or not, he knows. Because he knows it all. So I can say something like this. I'm not prescribing this, but I'm just telling you this is what I did. And this is probably, who knows. I say, I pray, Lord, if that person that's wreaking havoc in my church, okay, think back decades, okay, it's nobody you know. If, if, they're, if they're really one of yours, will you straighten them out for me, please? Love them back to you. Will you, will you but if they're not... Will you get them out of here? I don't care how you do it. I mean, there was a point where, and it's very rare, but there's a point where there's people in our lives that get to us and we're like, you know what? It should be okay to pray for justice. Not just in this big, ambiguous way, but very specific. God answers prayer. God answers specific prayer specifically. Okay? Otherwise, how are you going to know? So, Remember a couple chapters ago, we talked about the altar and we had the martyrs underneath the martyr. We said a martyr is a Christian witness whose witness was so pure and complete that they died for what they believed. Okay? And so I'm going to take you back there. This is um, Revelation 5, verses 9 and 10. Just turn back one page. Sorry, I gave you guys the wrong chapter. It's Revelation 6, 5, 6 9, and 10. Um, it says this. When John opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain, okay, people who have died, and here's why, because of the word of God and the testimony that they had maintained. So they'd been faithful in their testimony about what they believed to the point that I'll let you live if you just betray your Christ and just say, I don't believe, and they wouldn't, and so they died, okay? Happens every day in our world. Happened more times in the last century than in the 19th century's previous combined okay so it happens it's still happening they listen to what they prayed in verse 10 they called out in a loud voice how long sovereign lord so they're acknowledging his sovereignty holy and true until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood look at verse 13 in chapter 8 the very last verse Who's he talking to? As I watched, I heard an eagle that was flying in midair call out in a loud voice, whoa, 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 and he's not riding a horse, to the inhabitants of the earth. Now, wait a minute, go back to 610. They called out in a loud voice, how long, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth. So that's not believers. 
That's those who haven't believed yet. And it is okay to pray judgment and justice. Just be patient. Because look what he says next. As it happens um, down a verse 11. Then each of them was given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer. Don't you love it? <laughs> Lord, answer my prayers now. <laughs> Give me patience. Hurry up. You know, it, it's that mindset that w- we need to remember that God's timing is even more important than time itself. Okay? Wait until the full number of servants. Wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, other people who would be martyred for their faith, their brothers and sisters were killed just as they had been. Okay, so now let's go back. Let's read. First six verses are going to be, if you're taking notes, first six verses are that prayer, genuine prayer, is sac- it, it, it matters. It's answered. God answers genuine prayer. And the second, Roman numeral two, would be, here's some proof. And the prayers that are being answered in chapter 8 is, is four of the judgments of God, the first four trumpets, okay? So just a quick catch up, there were seven seals, there were seven trumpets, and there's seven bowls, and each of those represent judgments from God on the inhabitants in the earth. And you say, well, I don't want to be judged. Be a believer. <laughs> Trust and follow him, and he seals you. We saw that last week. That's why he seals us. He says you become invincible to the judgments of God when you have that relationship with Christ. He seals his kids, all right? And so we have that confidence. And if you're not sure you understand it, go back, read chapter seven. Now remember, seven was a big pause between the sixth seal and the seventh seal. The seventh seal is actually the seven trumpets. So, you know, it's kind of like those nesting dolls and you get, you know, you get to the smallest one and it's like seven more. Um, It's kind of like that. We have six seals, you get to the seventh seal, you open the seal, and boom, seven more judgments fall out. And that's where we are now. And we're going to do four of the seven today, and we'll do the rest next week. It continues on into chapter nine. Let's read and see what John had, what else John saw as he reveals to us what has been hidden but has been written. When he, that is John, opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Okay, so here we have. So trumpets were not like we have trumpets today. We have them, they have valves. I played trumpet in high school, and um, they are, um, like me, loud and obnoxious. And, but theirs were different. Theirs were like a ram's horn, okay? Um, and they would blow them for festivals. They would blow them for different things related to worship, and they would blow them to do signaling for um, like citywide messaging and even in the military. So they were, I mean, that's what a trumpet does. It cuts through all the noise. It cuts through all the noise and it makes it really clear there's a message coming via trumpet. So for whatever reason, God chooses to do, call these seven judgments trumpets. And he hands them to these seven angels. And no, I don't know their names. I've never met them, okay? But there they are. And they come out. Now this is, this is I noticed this, I think I might have even said this, last week, seven angels who stand before God. Everything else in heaven is like worshiping and falling down forward on their faces, worshiping. These angels are standing before God. So I was like, why are they standing? Why aren't they worshiping? And, and the answer is, they are worshiping. They're just worshiping in a different way. So um, Hebrews 13, 15, and 16, you know I always run back here when I want to talk about worship because it talks about worshiping God with our lips and our lives, 
Okay? When we stand and sing in this place, and we stand and pray in this place, we are worshiping God with our lips. We are praise, ascribing praise to God, and that's appropriate and good, and we should do that. We should do that in corporate settings like this, and we should do that when we're one-on-one um, with God too. We should ascribe praise. We should pray to him out loud and tell him why he's so great. Not because he doesn't know that, but because we need to be reminded. Okay? But they're not doing that. They're standing in the throne room in the presence of God. They're standing. Why? Because they are ready to serve. Their posture is, is almost like, okay, I'm ready. What does an angel, what does the word angel mean? Messenger. So um, one of the children, the, we have, we've adopted a, a child through One for One Impact, Amy and Chris's ministry in Uganda. Her name's Angel. Nakira. I picked her out because of her name. Um, and because my last name's Gabriel. So, right? My daughter's name is Angel Gabriel. Isn't that cool? Um, even though An- the Angel Gabriel was not female. Anyway, that's another whole thing. Not male either, for that matter. But, um, boy, I digress. Okay, so, um, yeah, so, but I, I want, I can't wait to go back and talk to her because her English is getting better and she's getting older. Because I want to say to her, and I've felt this for years, I've said, you're a messenger to the people in Lugazi, Uganda. You're a messenger because your name was given to you, okay? And it means messenger. And you are going to turn this village upside down with the message of Jesus Christ. I just believe that. And I look forward to telling her that. Well, this, these angels are getting ready to deliver a message and it's not words, it's trumpet blasts. And they are true and terrifying for those who are inhabiting the earth at this time. But they're standing, so this is the takeaway, really, on this, and this is really just a side note. Is your posture one that you want to serve God? And probably most of you would say, yeah, I'd I'd like to serve God. i say, well, are you standing ready in his presence? That sounds like a, a prerequisite to me, based on what I'm seeing here. They're standing in the presence of God, awaiting their orders, posture ready to go, as soon as he hands them the message to deliver. Are we doing that? Are we doing that 24-7? Okay, take out the time you're sleeping. Are we doing it the rest of the time? That's my question. Side note, no extra charge for that. Verse 3, another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense went... The smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of God's people, went up before God from the angel's hand. And let's pause there. So what's happening here? So um, there's a censer and there's incense, okay? And I've never handled and messed with incense. I've walked by and gone like this, but I, I know what, what incense is. It gives off a strong smell to some nice, to some not so nice, and it kind of depends on what's in the, in the censer. Now, a censer is basically a hot... It's a plate that can be heated. It's like a a metal dish. Um, In the tabernacle, they were made of brass. Later, they upgraded to gold, and you would heat it up, and you'd have like oils and spices and crushed up or dried flowers and other things to create the aroma that you were going for. This is part of the apparatus in the tabernacle and the temple in the Old Testament. And the point was, I think, to remind the priests that the prayers of the people matter, and this is a a visual picture that that's continually happening as God's people are praying. 
that the prayers rise up to God, okay? And what we're going to see in this chapter is not only do they rise up, but the answers come down. The answers come down big time. And this is why we're back to why we pray. We pray because it changes things, sometimes for mercy and sometimes for justice. But prayer, there's no bigger weapon that we can use. And it is a war we're in. Just read Ephesians 6 and you see the armor we're supposed to be suiting up on. If you're not suiting up for battle, you're acting like there's no war going on. That's another sermon for another time. Okay? So look at verse 5. Here it comes. Oh. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder and rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. So this is basically the seven trumpets that are starting to come. And it kind of flashes back to when Moses was first at Mount Sinai and he has the one point whatever million um, Jews out in their tents and they're, they're trying to figure out what they're going to do and the law is about to be given and the, they're looking at the mountain and it's just thunder and lightning and the ground is trembling. Presence of God. And it should terrify those who don't know God. It should sober you that there's a God and you're not him. Are you ready for his return? That's the message of Revelation. There's a God. You're not him. Are you ready for his return? Because you're going to see him one way or another. Well, I don't believe in him. That doesn't change reality. That just changes how surprised you're going to be when reality shows up. Look, at that, look back. One other thing I want to point out, and I think this is probably the most important thing, and I almost missed it, almost forgot. Where does this happen? It happens at an altar in front of the throne of God. Okay, what happens on an altar? Things are sacrificed. Animals are sacrificed, unless you're looking at something like the cross where somebody was sacrificed, Okay? That tells us that genuine prayer is, is impossible apart from sacrifice. Okay? We have the sacrifice that was made on the cross with Jesus dying on the cross. And, and that's what tore the veil in the, in the temple that said to all that had sense and eyes to see, the barrier between God and man is gone. And now you don't have to go through a priest. You can go directly to me. And bring your prayers, and I will answer directly into your life, into your world. Into, and, and I will do it in my timing. I will do it in accordance with my will. But I will do it knowing that you're my kids, and I love my kids. Okay, I'm a new grandparent. I'm learning what that's like. Not just learning you love your kids and you keep loving your kids, but there's some different category called grandkids that I can't really put to words yet that's just different. Okay, I want to bless my grandkids, right? Um, but if you don't bless your kids, you're going to be raising your grandkids. Somebody told me that this weekend. I thought that was pretty. So raise your kids <laughs> well, okay, so that they can raise their kids and you can just spoil them. All right? Sacrifice is a key ingredient, right? What, what is required? Just, just, there's a hundred reasons here. I'm not going to give you any, almost any of them, but there's one here. In the incense, you guys know when I say, you know what potpourri is, right? It's like, it's, yeah. It's like people put it in their house to make it smell good. 
Um, yeah, and, and so, but that's, but what is required for that to happen? You have to have dried flowers, and you have to do what? You have to crush them. And the fragrance doesn't come until you crush them. Which, if you're the flower, it's not really cool. <laughs> but if you like the fragrance, it's beautiful. Flip back with me to Ephesians 5. Just for a second. Ephesians 5. If you get to Romans and 1 Corinthians, hang a right. Right after Galatians, right before Philippians, G-E-P-C. Chapter 5, verse, I'll read 1 and 2. Speaking of sacrifice, speaking of fragrant offering, speaking of really what this is getting at. I'll start reading verse 1. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. I forgot to give you guys that on the screen. I'm so sorry. Um, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love. We talked about that on our camping trip. Walking with him is another way of saying living, okay? Living out our faith, walking with him. Walk in the way of love. What's the way of love? He describes it. Watch this. Just as Christ loved us, oh, he gave us an example. What's that? He gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I'm going to take you to one more place. If Isaiah 52, 3. Sorry, I wasn't planning. He says, where does it say he was pleased to crush him? Some of y'all know this better than I. Oh, here it is. Verse 53, chapter 53, Isaiah. But he was pierced, I'm in verse 5. But he was pierced, this is referring to the Messiah, Jesus, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, our sinfulness. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Somewhere it says he was pleased to crush him. Somebody, anybody know that verse? Ten? Yet it was the Lord's... Okay, so let me read nine. He was assigned a grave with the wicked... And with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Again, describing the, the Lamb of God. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an, and though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. I, and I could go on, but you, you see what I'm saying, right? If it's okay with God to crush his own son, all right, think of all the pain and suffering. If you don't have a clue what that's like, watch the passion of the Christ and try to do that without crying, without like snot dripping crying, okay? And then you've just tasted part of the six hours he went through on the cross, not talking about the beating he took before the cross, although both are in the movie. movie. God crushed him. Why? Why would God do that? Because he knew the judgments that were to come. And he doesn't want anybody to go through that. But he's not going to force his will, impose his will, because then it's not love. It's not given freely. And so he says, I don't know how to communicate to you how much I love you any more than this. I'm going to give you the best gift I can give you. I'm going to give you 
not my life. I'm going to give you my son, my beloved son, my one and only son, the one who is going to get the full inheritance son. I would die for my son, but even more precious is to send my son. Sacrifice. If you're praying and you're not thinking about the cross at all, I don't know how you can pray in Jesus' name and not think of the cross. Just don't leave out the resurrection. Love is in the cross. Power is in the resurrection. Both are essential for prayer that is answered by God. If you want your prayers to be in the censer, then you approach them from the perspective of Jesus. Okay? Now, does that prayer work? You better believe it. Look at verses 6. All right. Now, in the seals, in the previous chapters, six, in chapter 6, a third of the planet has already been killed off. Okay? So let's round up to 9 billion. That's 3 billion people have been judged and killed. You say, well, that's awfully mean of God to do that. These are people who don't want anything to do with God. They willfully rebel in spite of the tr judgments. They do not repent and believe, which is why he's stringing it out, so that they have time to process. I'm not God. There's a God. I'm not him. Have I humbled myself and said, yes, my life is not my own. It is yours. I surrender all. That's the posture of a creature that has been brought into existence from non-existence by a loving, powerful creator. Why we don't all have that attitude is sin. It's just sin. It's because of sin. And so we have to wake up and realize there's a spiritual battle going on, and you and I need somebody to pull us out of the hole of sin, and that's Jesus. That's who it is. And if you're looking anywhere else for hope, you're going to be disappointed. Your bucket's going to have no bottom in it. There's no way you can carry hope in a bucket with no bottom. All right. So, verse 6, then the seven angels, we already talked about those guys, uh, those angels, sorry, uh, who had the seven trumpets prepared to sound them. They're getting ready to let it rip, okay? Here it comes, the first angel, and I'm going to go through this quickly, because this is just narrative information. There's not a whole lot here that we need to expound on. I just want you to see the devastation, destruction. I want you to picture yourself on earth, okay, at that time. I want you to imagine... Okay, we're already at DEFCON whatever's highest because already we've been through the seals. Terrorism, feel is already throughout the world and then these things start to happen. The first angel sounded his trumpet and there came hail and fire mixed with blood and it was hurled down on the earth. Okay, now all this was initiated by the prayers and then the, the angel answered the prayers by scooping up coals out of the bottom of the altar and hurling it across the planet and boom, now we have this imagery, this picture of devastation that is in answer of the prayers calling for justice. So it starts off with this hail and fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled down on the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up. Okay? So, I don't know, my, say my neighborhood, neighborhood has 210 houses in it. That means 70 have just been burned down. 70 houses in my neighborhood of 210 houses are burned down. Okay? That's kind of a way to think about it. Okay? Um, a third of the earth is burned up. A third of the trees are burned up. Sorry, Gene. All the green grass was burned up. Okay? Now, now, what is God allowing to be judged here? He's allowing the things to be judged that are life-giving, things that give us what we need to survive. The, the, the 
ecology is under attack. I don't think um, this is what they were thinking about when they were talking about global warming. Just a, just a, I don't know. The second angel sounded his trumpet, and something like a huge mountain all ablaze was thrown into the sea. Something like a huge mountain was thrown into the sea? That sounds like a really big rock with dirt all over it. That sounds like something so big because it destroys the animal life in the ocean, a third of all the animal life. It wipes out a third of the shipping lanes with all the ships. Here's what it says. A third of the, uh, let's see, I'm in verse uh, 8. A third of the sea was turned into blood. Oh, yeah, there's that too. Can't drink that. Not that you would drink seawater, but look what it does. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships are destroyed. Third angel sounded his trumpet. A great star. So I don't know if the first one was a meteorite and this one's a comet. I don't know if that can even happen. Well, we'll talk to Gene later. But a third of the, uh, so a great star blazing like a torch. So this is a ball of fire coming in falls from the sky on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A, na- a third of the waters turned bitter, and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. So the drinking water is now contaminated, and a third of it is poisonous. And I can't tell you what third. I can just tell you a third of it is. The fourth angel, he does what, if you look at the first four seals, you'll see that the, the judgments parallel the rhythms of the giving of this is, is similar. And all of that order is just to remind us this is not random. This is not by chance. God is doing this in a very specific, orderly way. Not because he's OCD, but because he's trying to make a point. I know what I'm doing. I have a way to do it. And there's mercy wrapped in there. And if you'll just repent and believe, you'll miss the judgment. You'll become sealed. You'll become invincible. Humble yourself, please. But what we're going to find as we read through Revelation is most of the inhabitants on the earth do not repent, no matter how he keeps turning the heat up. The fourth angel sounded his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them turned dark. A third of the day was without light, and also a third of the night. Okay, so now we're at a cosmic level. Judgment, God is orchestrating things in our solar system to make the point that I don't care what God you worship, if you want to worship the sun God, if you want to worship the moon God, it doesn't matter to me. All of those bow to me. There's one God, and you're not him. Have you, are you ready for his return is the message. Verse 13, as I watched, I heard an eagle. He was flying in midair, call out in a loud voice, woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blasts about to be sounded by the other three angels. That means we're not done. There are three more coming. Chapter 9. So we come away with several things. One is, if you want to serve the Lord, make sure your posture is that you're standing in his presence. That's a little one. Prayer changes things. That's why we pray. Whether you're praying for mercy or whether you're praying for justice. And it's okay to pray for both. I would start with mercy. <laughs> you know, it makes it a little easier to pray for judgment when you can say, and if they don't respond to your compassionate uh, love, Lord, bring down the rain. And he does, right? And I'm not enjoy, and I don't want to revel in that, but I do praise God that he is just. And that those who have lived before us and lived lives anti-Christian, anti-love, anti-grace, anti-mercy, anti-holiness, anti-truth, that those people will be held accountable for the lives they tortured because of their actions. 
And we should worship a God who is just, just as much as a God who is merciful. Because if there's no justice, mercy has no meaning. There's injustice. People want to talk about justice in our, in our country today, right? And, and they should. Justice matters, okay? Mercy matters, but it should be built on truth. And truth, I was trying to define, truth is a real, clear vision of reality, okay? You can tell me all day, I don't believe that if I step off the roof of this building that I will fall. I just don't believe it. Fine, let's see, okay? Truth has a way of sorting that out, doesn't it? Okay, but I don't want to come at that at people with this haughty attitude like I've got it all figured out. I do not. That's why I didn't want to preach this, right? I have no clue what I'm reading here. I feel like I feel like I'm learning like a toddler, and yet God is speaking and He's saying, There's a God, you're not him, Darren. Are you ready for his return? And so I start praying. I don't want to just say, I hope I'm ready. I hope so. That doesn't sound like a good answer. I mean, if there's a one-question test and somebody says, are you ready? <laughs> you want to answer with some conviction, right? You want to say, I know that I know that I know. And if you don't have that conviction, then no wonder you're afraid to die. I would be too. But I am not. Because I know that I know that I know. Do you? Do you have that nailed down? Or are you so busy compartmentalizing your life so that you think, I got this. Oh, I can afford a couple of breaches, but this is unsinkable, this life of mine. Oh, really? Did you read Revelation lately? Not so much. And it's why people want to close their eyes and ears to the truth when you try to share it with them. Don't get discouraged. When, God, when somebody shuts you down, you just graciously back away and look for the one that God has now given you time to go speak to that is open because they're out there. Narrow is the way. There's a few. Find them. That's our job. That's our holy search, holy search and rescue mission. Let's pray. Lord God, as we continue to worship you, Lord, in this service, at this time, in this gathering, whether we're online and in a den and we're, we're, we're there with our family and friends or just by ourselves or whether we're in this room or whether we're watching, listening to a podcast as we drive down the road, God, speak to us and give us a sense that you already have. And that the ball is really in our court. What are we going to do with what you said to us? Because that's what rests on us. You're responsible to communicate to us the truth that sets us free. And you've done that today. Now the ball is in our court. Will we respond by doing something? Not just listening to the word and patting ourselves on the back like we've done something. But obeying it. Doing something that matters. Starting with us. Sure, we want to fix the world, but God, how can we fix the world if we can't even clean our own room? There's no credibility. There's no ability. And God, it's time for us to stop blaming other people. It's time for us to own our lives. All of it. And Lord, help us to realize that because you're God, everything in our lives affected by how we handle you, how we respond to you. And I pray for the courage to decompartmentalize our lives and to say, if one gets breached, I'm all in on Jesus because he's got this. Help us to sober up, humble ourselves, and approach your throne, recognizing that our prayers are possible because of the sacrifice of Jesus 
where he died in our place so that we could live in his. And so God, I pray that you'll help us as we celebrate the Lord's Supper here in a moment, as we take a piece of bread and we bite, that you were pleased and willing to crush your son so that we wouldn't have to be crushed. And that our lives, along with his, could be a fragrant offering of praise and prayer. As we take that cup of grape juice, that we would recognize that his blood was shed, that his life was forfeit for us. He exchanged his life for ours. And you demonstrated that that was totally appropriate when you raised him from the dead. And because he's resurrected and living today, he tells us that we can have that same hope too because that life awaits us as well in our future history. Lord, we praise you and thank you for that gift. I pray for those right now that would say, I want to receive this gift of eternal life, that right now you would just surrender your life. You might even, even with even though we're, our eyes are closed, you might even, even right now, you might just raise your hands and just say, I just want to surrender. And the sign of surrender, just putting your hands in the air. Whether you're a believer or not, maybe you're a believer for the first time in this moment as you raise your hands, you're just saying, I, I'm surrendering my life to the, to, to the God who's not me. I'm done trying to be God in my life. I'm done trying to control the compartments in my life. I'm, I'm, I'm surrendering it all to you. I'm trusting you, Lord. Whether I'm a believer who has been grabbing it back and trying to control my life again or whether I'm for the first time saying okay I get it and I'm surrendering all Lord it's that kind of faith that saves us thank you for the gift of faith that you have given your people may we exercise it well in Jesus name amen